0: I was in one of my usual work Zoom meetings the other day, and I heard myself using the word vibes twice. Twice. And I had this feeling of shame that I couldn't quite place. And then this memory came flooding back to me. It's 2006. I'm sitting in history class during my freshman year of high school. My teacher is laying down the law. He's sick of the word awesome. With an admonishing wave of chalk, he rants that we had used it too much in our work and our speech, that it had lost all its meaning. And now I'm cringing, thinking about how many times a day I was probably using it.
1: It's the privilege of the young generation to give new meanings to old words and find new words for meanings that we need to designate.
0: Words are essential building blocks we need to create understanding and relationships. But it feels as if language is changing so fast that we can hardly agree about what words even mean. And this brings us to why we're here. Our mission is to bridge the divide between four major generations. Baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and Gen Z. We're starting this project with words. Well, one word.
2: To help families process the trauma. How that trauma lives on.
0: Layered trauma. Veterans and others who experienced trauma.
1: Rage and trauma.
0: Trauma. Have we started using this word in other terms related to therapy in a way that dilutes their meaning, just like my history teacher griped about? Or is something else happening? I'm your host, Lauren Berry, and this is It's Generational.
2: I suppose we have to come to some sort of agreement on what trauma means, but I already know what it means in the dictionary. If I ever have a question about the useful word, I will look it up. And sometimes my editor will say, is that what you really meant? And I will have to reexamine, you know, the, the word that I use.
0: You just heard John Evans, a baby boomer and longtime journalist. Other panelists on this episode are millennial writer Kendra Austin, Gen Xer podcast host and journalist Virginia Heffernan, and Gen Z influencer and activist Michelle Chubb. So we asked our panel, does the common and flippant repeating of trauma terminology such as toxic dilute its meaning over time, especially in online discourse? For an example, like describing losing your car in a parking garage as traumatic.
2: I am a journalist, so language is really important. The proper word is very important. I can't go on the air and call something one thing when it's really not. I have to be very careful about hyperbole or misrepresenting facts or using an incorrect word because words have power, words have meaning. Words have meaning and they carry consequences. And the word trauma means a deeply distressing or disturbing experience like the death of a child not losing your car in a parking garage but the death of a child or rape or something equally traumatized i do believe that by and large
3: most people are way more traumatized than they think they are so i don't see the damage in people being able to identify trauma even if it is on the heavy side because most people are way more traumatized than they know or have the resources to understand. We all got those things from our emotionally stunted parents who got those things from their even more emotionally stunted parents. And I think it's a gorgeous thing that we can identify that sometimes losing your car is traumatic. Moving apartments is considered one of the greatest traumas that we experience in our lifetime. Moving is not just moving, you are being uprooted and your routine is being disturbed and you don't have the emotional regulation techniques in order to handle that and now we can name that for what it is in a very microcosmic way it can be annoying to interact with these people on the internet but also the internet devolves into real life and the majority of people are not a part of this internet culture and maybe just hearing what toxic really is and finally able to identify that their relationship that is very much happening outside of the context of the internet is toxic and that they shouldn't be in it anymore
0: Brigitte Bush, a researcher and lecturer at the University of Vienna's Department of Linguistics, explained one aspect of shifting language on the internet as a kind of linguistic inflation.
1: I don't know whether in, in English it's the same. In our space, you know, the, what was the superlative, the best, uh, the newest, the fanciest, is kind of topped by saying this person is the best sports person of all times. And I, with a smile, somehow I call it the mega latif, to top the super latif. And I think that it's a bit a similar development. You know, it's got to be sensational. It's got to be really hitting.
0: At this point in the conversation, John shifted into journalist gear. He made a request.
2: Repeat the question because I want to make sure I'm answering it exactly.
0: Does the common and flippant repeating of trauma terminology dilute its meaning over time?
2: And I would say yes, with caveats and with exceptions. But yes, we have to be really careful to call things what they are and not what we think they might be. Obviously, as a journalist, I am bound by a code and by ethics. So, for example, if I were out in the field covering a story and someone says they were traumatized, I'm immediately believing them that they mean the word for, but I will have to ask them to clarify. And I may have to make a judgment that they were not traumatized at all. They were just deeply upset by something that happened. Deeply upset and traumatized mean two different things. Actually, the term is
1: relatively new, if you want to call that new 60 years. But yeah, somehow, yes, it is. Because when one uses the word, one has the impression that it has always been there, so to say. If you look at these early days, the people in psychotherapy or then in research on human emotions, they did actually not use the word trauma. It was uh, Pierre Janet in France who did the first descriptions of what we call today trauma, and he called it accident emotional, so emotional accident. Emotional accident.
0: Doesn't that make it sound so much less daunting than trauma? Like your heart just stubbed its toe on the dresser. I sort of wish we still called it that.
1: Trauma then was really a word reserved for physical injuries let's say brain injuries or really tough injuries but physical ones and only later one started to speak also about psychological trauma and this came specifically about with the war veterans the word trauma is actually linked to these processes in society of the recognition of suffering due to, let's say, the consequences of war or due to natural disasters or things that really unsettle people in in their daily lives. And it was only in the past century, so with the Diagnostic Manual, that the trauma diagnosis became uh, worded as such.
2: And very much in a court of law. In order to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to use the terminology, which is why terminology in a courtroom has to be exact and precise and why they parse words.
4: You know, John, I get that. and. I've been a journalist not as long as you have, but 30 years. I started at the New York Times in 2000, but before that was at Slate. And you know, of course words matter, but they're not math. We make the meaning of words with time. And if you ask someone, did you suffer trauma? And if that trauma is not the thing that you've defined as trauma, formerly it was just battle fatigue and exposure to combat, but you cited the death of a child, that would count as trauma. But I wouldn't be on me to push back on someone saying they suffered trauma. Freud thought that sexual abuse was not trauma. I think childhood sexual abuse, I think now we might agree that it does fit that definition. There have been times when people have lost children all the time. Uh, My grandparents had... 13 children, and they lost one of those children and considered it, my grandfather wrote, into every life a little rain must fall, and we lost a child. It was not considered trauma to him. So I think the person who says I've been traumatized, whether it's because they lost their car or not, kind of gets to say that. And we also have to accept that that's a moving target and that we're not in a courtroom.
0: It became clear to us that trauma
1: resonates differently, not only between generations, but from person to person. People in trauma research agree that an event is not traumatizing in itself. It always depends on how people live through the event. So people can live through the same event and it can cause post-traumatic syndromes or severe consequences with the ones and not with the others. By the way,
0: after we recorded everything for this episode, my car was broken into. There was window glass all over my seats, and the steering column was mangled up so badly, actually, that the car wouldn't even start. Now, at first, I felt pretty numb about it, but then when the shock wore off, I I realized it wasn't just a trivial upset or even inconvenience. I felt violated. And then later that night, I, for some reason, felt compelled to complain for like an hour about having to walk a mile to get a sandwich, as though that was the most traumatic thing that had ever happened to me in my life which, you know, obviously it wasn't.
1: And there is research um, that dates back already to the 1930s to Vygotsky, who is really famous for his studies on emotions. And Vygotsky made it very clear in connection with uh, child abuse in a family that the three siblings lived through the same situation with the mother who was really in a very difficult situation and and could not cope with it, that two of the kids, they lived through it really with traumatic syndrome and the third one somehow was able to understand emotionally the difficult situation the mother was in and through this empathy and the understanding, emotional understanding of the situation, could develop the resilience that helped him not to be afflicted. So it's difficult to say, we're in
4: a world where language changes a lot and people exposed to the discourse around trauma online there was recently there's a book called the trauma of everyday life about the number of kind of small events and offenses that we experience that shake our sense of self, that that seems like a reasonable definition of trauma to some people or that you, that might be useful to apply. Then there was an article in the Harper's last two months ago that I still can't stop thinking about by Will self, I think he's a boomer, saying that trauma has been overapplied mostly because it ends up in litigation. So once you say, I'm suffering from some kind of trauma that shows up on my body, It must have happened, you know, 20 years ago, and... If you don't say it happened for structural reasons that, you know, because like being grazed at by patriarchy and white supremacy all the time is traumatic, if you start to name a person, then you start to tee up a lawsuit. And so his argument was this, that this idea that trauma is not something you work with in your own world, but something that always has to have someone to blame on the other end of it, seems potentially controversial. And, you know, that our physical symptoms don't always have an author. That we tense up around things and we can learn to manage those tensions or like not hold those tensions in a way that doesn't require, you know, carceral politics that puts someone in jail for it. So anyway, I bring this up because I am just as committed to the power of language, I think, as anyone else. But I also think that words change with time and that a lot of the co- these the words are, are really up for grabs right now and their definitions are being made in the comments On Instagram and TikTok. It's a joint project we're participating in.
0: Michelle, I'm really interested to hear your insight on this because you're on TikTok and I'm a millennial, and TikTok is kind of a minefield for me with the comment section. And, you know, people are using Mm -hmm. language in new ways, you know, even though they're just a little bit younger than me. So, what's your perspective on all that as a TikTok creator?
5: Well, I can agree with John and Virginia. I'm on the fence with them both because I can see, as in John's point of view, words are powerful and they have meaning behind them and you have to use your words wisely. But I also agree with Virginia with um, how one person's trauma may not be another person's trauma. Just for instance, I'll give you an example of me and my boyfriend's experience growing up. Michelle is from the Bonobonabee Cree Nation. I grew up in Winnipeg here in Canada. It's a pretty racist town. The North End is considered the predominantly indigenous area. It's kind of like the poor part of town. So that's where he grew up. I grew up in the South End with white people, quiet, shy. So his traumas he grew up would be extremely traumatic for me. But my traumas, if I were to tell him my traumas growing up, They wouldn't be considered traumas because his experiences are so different than mine that he wouldn't be traumatized But from what I experienced because that's an everyday thing for them, right? So they're used to that type of thing. So I think everyday words are changing their meanings. There's so many words that we can use and invent for other words. And I think TikTok is doing that right now.
3: I am so grateful to live in a time where mental health resources and literal actual resources that cost hundreds of dollars, like people like me who spend $300 a week on therapy, like those are available on TikTok. Like, I love the fact that young people have access to mental health resources before it's too late. And I love the fact that people who are not young people have access while they may feel like it's too late. so I think that that's a really beautiful thing. Being chronically online is also very real. And I know this because I work on the internet, it is my job. And every single day I start to enter an argument with somebody in a comment section who I realize is 15, does not leave their room, and is only on the internet. And it's because they use a lot of these buzzwords, right? But I am always such a champion for intergenerational healing and ancestral
2: healing. I would agree that words can lose their power if we continue to misuse them. So perhaps we need to change the definitions. Right. The definition of the word trauma should be expanded. But words matter though, they still matter. We're having a conversation if we don't understand each other and we have to say, what do you mean by that? dilutes the word if we have confusion about it. Right. So shouldn't we decide on what the word means before we use it?
3: I love you pinpointing the expansion of the definition, John, to kind of piggyback on the idea of expanding and widening our understanding of trauma and abuse and the accumulation of traumatic experiences that can equate to abuse is also the access to that information. I recently read What Happened to You by trauma expert, Dr. Bruce Perry, in conversation with Oprah Winfrey, and he is actually the originator of what we still use today as kind of the system in which we can actually delineate a traumatic experience in somebody's brain and chemical information within their like reaction to their world and what is not trauma. He essentially explains that trauma is not actually an experience, but how we process it. Yeah. And that definitely accommodates for what both Michelle and Virginia have said here.
4: I think these conversations just foretell such a better, richer emotional vocabulary for talking about these things and sensory vocabulary and even legal and pragmatic vocabulary.
1: In my understanding, it leaves new space for creating new terms. I would say these are developments that somehow come about that happen and we have to acknowledge them. Thanks
0: for listening to the debut episode of It's Generational. We would also like to thank our panel guests, Michelle Chubb, Kendra Austin, Virginia Heffernan and John Evans for joining us, as well as our expert, Brigitte Bush of the University of Vienna. Stay tuned for more episodes featuring this panel with roundtable discussions about workplace perspectives and relationship issues. This episode was produced by Sydney Fishman, Mallory Samara, and me, Lauren Berry. Myron Kaplan is Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. You can listen to It's Generational on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts.